So in this song, Srinivasacharya remembers the qualities and pastimes of the six Goswamis of Vrindavan. And here he says that they were accepted and loved by the gentle and the ruffians. And there's a way in which when somebody in this world becomes purified in heart and no longer has the tendency that Krishna mentions in the seventh chapter of the Bhagavad Gita when he says, Icha dvesha sumutena vandra mohena bharata sabarbhutani sammoham sargeyanti parantapa that people are born into the duality of desire and hatred. There's a sense of envy of other living entities also because we see there are competitors to my own position in this world. But a person who's purified in heart loses this tendency to compete against other living beings for the sake of sense gratification. And they become a well-wisher to others. And that is palpable to people who are refined and also those who are a little rough around the edges. So the Goswamis were popular with everybody. And Sanatana Goswami, especially in Vrindavan, was known as a peacemaker. There's a way in which people would see him every day because he used to go around Govardhan and kill every day and Parikram and senior most devotee in Vrindavan. People would come to him all the time with family disputes and say, she says this, I say that. What do you think? And whatever he say would be final and they'd go home happy that he's resolved it. And when Sanatana Goswami left the world, everyone shaved their heads as he used to keep a shaved head and to show solidarity and separation from him. They all did that and still do on Guru Purnima in Vrindavan. It's the busiest day of the year at Govardhan Hill and people still remember the great soul. Actually, if someone develops the qualities as mentioned by Rupa Goswami in the Sri Badeshamrita, that one becomes free from the tendency to criticize others and becomes a kind friend, then such a person makes an impact in the world. And also in this song, we hear about how the Goswami, Sankhya Purvakanamagana Natibi, they counted everything that they did. That is, whatever chant they chanted, they kept track. Even we hear in the Sri Chaitanya Charamrita when Gopinath Patanyayaka, who was a great devotee of Lord Chaitanya, in fact, his whole family was, they also had worldly business. Gopinath Patanyayaka had incurred a debt. In fact, he was skimming a little on the side and owed something to the government. And there was a decree that the prince, son of the king at that time, should come and collect the debt. And when he met Gopinath Patanayaka, the prince who was a little bit snobby, was looking at the horses 
that Gopinath was offering as part of the payment. He had some fine horses. And the prince offered an amount and Gopinath said these horses are worth far more than that. Now the prince had a, a tick. He involuntarily would move his head like this, something congenital. And Gopinath said, my horses are worth much more than that because they don't do this. <laughs> and the prince, not used to such a comeback, would, became furious. So in an inordinate act, he ordered that Gopinath Patanayaka be set up on the Changa. That doesn't sound good, does it? You want to go in the Changa. Changa is a place for ex executing people. It's a high platform. And everyone can see it too. And on the ground level, there's sharp swords that have been placed into the ground and they're sticking straight up. So that when someone's thrown from the Changa, they would land on the multiple swords and be impaled and certainly die in that way. So as he was on the Changa, he was chanting Hare Krishna. And he went on chanting as he was there. as making a small mark on his arm to make sure he was counting his rounds. And as we know, the devotees went to Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu to try to get relief for Gopinath. And Chaitanya Mahaprabhu said, everyone comes here after they've done some cheating and Gopinath stolen from the government. Now you come and want me to get him out of it. So please don't involve me in these affairs. And perhaps I'll go off to Alnalanath and I'll leave you all behind here. And devotees were reticent about asking Chaitanya Mahaprabhu for help. But as the story goes, the king found out that his son had put Gopinath Patnayaka up there on the Changa just for this debt collection. And he said, ah, who has told him to do this? All I said was somehow or other realize the funds. Then he said, I will double his salary. Obviously he needs money. So I'll make his salary double and plus I'll increase his status in the government by giving him a special wrapper that he wears around his head. And some of the devotees said, no, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu will think that you're doing it on his behalf. But the king insisted and when they came back and introduced the new Kopinath Patanayaka with his promotion and he had been saved by Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Kaviraj Goswami mentions that the, the mercy of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is automatic. Even though he may say that please don't involve me, he's so compassionate to his devotees. By the way, this is not a license to steal from the government or cheat on one's taxes. It is interesting. <laughs> Kurnath said, darn. <laughs> but in the story, we find that Gopinath, even in a time of danger, he went on chanting. 
Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama. In the very beginning of the Bhagavatam, in the first chapter, it says, Aparasam Sritim Goran, Yandama Vibhishogranan, Tatasadyo Vimucheta, Yadbipeti Soyambayam. That's the holy name of the Lord and the Lord Himself are non different. And therefore, one should call out to the Lord at any time, especially in time of danger, because He's personally there in His holy names. Nana Shastra Vicharanaika Nipano. The Goswamis were charged by Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu to bring out the most important aspects of the Shastra. We know even at Naimasharanya, the sages had met Sutta Goswami and Sutta had been the successor to his father who was killed by Balaram for being insubordinate and not recognizing him as the Supreme. Therefore, he was unqualified. And Sutta, on the other hand, had pleased his various gurus and was highly learned. And the sages were then asking him questions. They asked him six important questions that then are answered in the next chapter and throughout the Bhagavatam. But one of them was Burini Buri Karma Nishotavyani Vibhagasha Atasadyo Triatsaram Samudrita Manishaya Bruhi Padraya Bhutanam Amrita And that is that said Burini Buri Karmani, there's so many activities in the Vedas that are recommended. So many rituals and various shastras that tell us to do this and that. So he, they said Please, give us just the essence. We want to know what the active ingredient is. Just like in a mint, there's a little filler in there, or a lot of filler, and there's one tiny drop of, well, with certs, it's retsin, I remember from the, my childhood, but just one little drop of mint inside, which is the active ingredient. So they said, tell us the essence. And that's what Chaitanya Mahaprabhu asked the Goswamis to do. Nana Shastra Vicharanaika Nipuno said Dharma Samstapabhu. To expertly go through the Shastras and uh, bring out what is the most important part. This is something that Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita also. That if you have a river nearby, you don't need many wells in the ancient system. There is a well for everything that you would do and you'd have to go with each one independently to do various things so you didn't cross-contaminate them. But it, Krishna says if there's a river, then you don't need any wells. You just go to the river. So similarly says if somebody knows the purpose behind the Vedas, then uh, they don't need all these other rituals. So there's a sense here that the Goswamis have given us very clear direction about the essence of all the Shastras and a process that we can follow so that we can directly experience the Krishna's mercy and make progress in life. So the Goswamis are our benefactors and they've given us this wealth of Shastra that Prabhupada so kindly brought to light and uh, gave us. 
And I remember one day when I was at the San Francisco airport many years ago, and I had a nectar of instruction. And, well, I had many of them because I was distributing books there. We had a uh, situation there where we used to be able to walk around the airports freely and go anywhere. And it got more and more restricted over the years. And interestingly, the more it got restricted, the better we did. There was, in Denver, Colorado, I've been to almost every airport in America, except for maybe a few. And we were in Denver, Colorado for a while. And we used to be able to go through security with our books because there were a lot of people on the other side that we wanted to talk to. And there was one lady that worked in the security and you know the conveyor belt, you put all your stuff through and it x-rays it to see what's in it. Yes. Yes. So we had to put our books on that, big box of books would go through and they'd look. And obviously there was nothing much in there but books. Nonetheless, one of the ladies there didn't like us. So she used to say, oh, we'll have to check these carefully. So she'd pull out every book and she'd go through it by thumbing through every page very slowly. And she saw us squirming because we knew, she knew we were missing the rush at Frontier Airlines, a little ways down the hallway. And then after she did all that, then she, we would be free to go, but we missed 10 minutes. She did that for at least a month and a half. And then one day we came to the Sunday program and one of my godbrothers nudged me and said, hey, is that? <laughs> and she was there at the Sunday program. And she came for many months afterwards out of an interest and she became a friend of the temple there. The one day when I was in, oh yeah, the ghost of restriction. We were then, after some time, the courts decided that we should stay behind a booth because that would tame us. And so they gave us booths to be behind and we thought, oh, well, we can't do anything now. But one of my god brothers, Banabhata Prabhu once said, so I'm gonna go try it. And we all said, oh, it's useless. Why would you even try? So he went out and he came back after a day at the airport. And we said, Bana, how is it? And he's a real joker, so he had a very solemn face. And he said, it was huge. <laughs> and then we went out and we realized that when we had a booth, it almost looked like we worked there. So people are coming over to our booth and say, you know, where's this, where's that? And we say, yeah, it's right straight ahead. And then take a right and a left and a right, take the rope swing over the alligator pit and cross the barbed wire and you're there. And, and then they saw that we were doing really well, so they said, well, we're gonna move you again because we need this space. So there was this insurance booth because people used to sell traveler insurance right at the airport from a special booth. And now it was empty said, you're moving over there. And we were like, oh, we're all morose. And they moved us into the booth and we realized there are empty cabinets in there. Those little tel telephone hookup. <laughs> and that became the, the, biggest, the biggest spot on earth for book distribution, right in the middle of the international terminal. 
I don't remember why I brought that up, except for one day while I was there, I met a young man from Taiwan. He was a student, he had visited for a holiday, and he purchased a nectar of instruction. And he gave me $10, and then he put it in his carry-on bag, and he walked off. And I was watching him as he walked through security and disappeared from my sight, and I was thinking, I wonder if Rupa Goswami, when he wrote this, possibly at Terakadamba and Vrindavan, and he summarized everything in this simple book about controlling the senses as the first step, and then he talked about the, the ways in which one can make advancement through six processes by being enthusiastic, being patient, being determined, following the footsteps of the previous acharyas, taking up the various processes of devotional service. And he also talked about avoiding various practices. They're not practices, they're kind of malpractices. Like atyahara, ati means uh, above or extreme. So like there's extreme sports, there's also atyahara. Ahara means to eat, so extreme eating and collecting. Atyahara prayashascha, longing for worldly things and so forth. And he talks about loving relationships between devotees, dadati, pratigranati, giving gifts, accepting gifts, and then there's um, revealing one's mind, hearing others reveal one's mind, giving prasad and accepting prasad. He goes through the summary of all the practices of devotional service, Nienza, taking us all the way to Radhakunda. And I was thinking, these Goswamis wrote these things down. They thought about it. They codified it in such a way that a young student from Taiwan, hundreds of years later, coming through an airport, there were no airports at that time when he wrote it. But now uh, he was carrying it along with him. And I was thinking how um, pleased he might be that an author wants to see that People are able to take advantage of the information that they give in their books. And it was a, a moment just that carried me back to that place, Terakadamba, where Rupa Goswami spent so much time and contemplation and just the thoughtfulness of the, dev the devotees to give Krishna consciousness to others. I had a similar experience when one day in Walnut Creek, Cal actually it was Lafayette, Lafayette, California, where I grew up, the same house I grew up in. I was 16 years old and I was sitting there minding my own business, just meditating on a candle flame. I had renounced my family even though I lived in their house. <laughs> I renounced shoes even though I had to wear flip-flops at school because they required it. I let my hair get matted because I didn't care anymore. Didn't look in mirrors, didn't look at clocks. I was determined just to find God. I used to sit in the backyard under the fig tree because somebody gave me a, a little teeny Bhagavad Gita and Krishna said, of all trees, I'm the holy fig tree. It's a member of the family of the Banyan. And I'd sit there at night. My father would come out and say, come in. 
and I have my little mantra to chant back there. And as I was sitting, my friend Richie Korsov from high school came knocking at my door and he said, Willie, I know you're in there. I wasn't answering the door. He said, I got this magazine from those bald guys and I don't want it, but I know you're into this, so I'm leaving it for you. And he left it outside my door. And later when I came out and I picked it up, after I'd read so many books and was searching so desperately, I knew immediately that I had found exactly what I was looking for. And I, I was thinking, well, who did this? I wanted to trace it out. Who, who, thought, who thought this up and did it? Somebody was aiming for me, kid in the suburbs. And then I traced it back to the devotees and found out that Srila Prabhupada comes from a line of devotees that are concerned about the world's welfare and the people in it. After all, the sages at Naimasaranya had gathered for a seminar and the topic was how to do the greatest good for the whole world, for all the people in it. And that's the line we come in. What a wonderful group to be in. And when I was writing my book called Our Family Business, 1995, tonight only, no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I asked Rabindra Sarup Prabhu to write the, the foreword to it. Because uh, there was some rumor that he had, that he wasn't into book distribution. But then I had gone to Philadelphia where he was the temple president. And he was so accommodating and so interested in expanding book distribution. And I remember once we were in a meeting with the Sankirtan devotees and we were requisitioning different rooms, especially we needed a book room and they had to move a bunch of other stuff out. And we needed a bunch of other facility. We had a list of seven items that we were gonna ask him for. And we kept going down the list. The last one was to clear out one of the rooms to give it to us for a book room. And we thought, we'll save that for last, see how things are going. And everything we asked him for, he immediately said, granted, granted, granted. And I looked at him and I said, wow, you're really into this. And he goes, I was there. I saw Prabhupada wanted this. He was so passionate about it and so enthusiastic that I remembered when I started writing my book, that let me call Rabindu Saru Prabhu because he's a scholar and also his heart's in this. So he wrote that introduction to my book our family business. And while he was writing it and we were discussing it, he told me that the reason that Brahma is pictured on the Brahma Samhita holding a book is because in his research he found that our Sampradaya is especially called the Sampradaya of the book. Because our purpose is to do good for others and as it says in the Bhagavatam, Anarto Pasanam Sakshad Bhakti Yoga Madhotsaje, Lokasya Ajanato Vidvams Chakre Sattvata Samhitam. The Vyasadeva was thinking of the welfare of the people when he wrote down the Srimad Bhagavatam. He wanted to make it available to people. And the only real problem in the world is spiritual poverty. We can't really do anything for the other problems of the world because they're destined by karma, but we can go to the root of the problem. 
and annihilate it. So this is the merciful mission that we've inherited from the six Goswamis of Vrindavan who gave their might to produce all these books to make sure that we had them available. What to speak of Srila Vyasadev who compiled Srimad Bhagavatam to make, make available to, to the whole world. So we offer our obeisances to six Goswamis and pray for their help and taking advantage of these transcendental literatures and also giving them to others. Om Tat Sat. And now let's have some questions or reflections about anything we've talked about in here over the last few days. Yes, Jamuna. We have an extra mic, believe it or not. We've evolved. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Um, you talked about uh, this that you asked him so many things and he kept the uh, room as nice. Did he grant it? Yeah. Yeah? He granted the book room too. <laughs> Everything. Now you can sleep tonight. Prabhu? Definitely don't go for the mode of ignorance. It never works out. And in Maharaj's class today, he talked about dainya. He referenced the Bhagavatamrita, wherein Sanatana Goswami mentions that prema and dainya, which means extreme humility, go hand in hand. In fact, where there's prema, there's this sense of humility. In fact, in the symptoms of bhava, which are mentioned by Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu Sanatana Goswami, one of the symptoms of someone who's advancing in devotional service is they feel more and more unqualified. Where it becomes non-productive is if it's based on my false ego. Because there can be a way in which I'm lamenting that I'm not the center of attention and I feel uh, disappointed because I'm not getting what my ego wants. There's a difference between that low self-esteem and misplaced humility and the humility of somebody who's deeply committed to Krishna and realizing his or her sense of insignificance in relationship to Krishna. And how can you tell? You can tell because one of them is enervating. When it's in relationship to the bodily conception of life, it takes away our energy and our will to do more service. Whereas when one has spiritual humility, then it increases one's uh, spiritual vitality. And we, we feel even uh, enlivened to, to in, engage in service. We feel enlivened in, in to engage in service all the time. What else, Prabhu? Yeah. Uh, 
No, we'll give you a microphone in seven seconds or less, or your money back from tonight's class. Okay. Um, I think just when you were talking just before, you, you said something about you were proud of the situation. And can you talk about the difference between selfish pride, but more, important, <coughs> more importantly, pride towards um, like other devotees and glorifying them and proud the, the aspect of being proud of our movement and the temples and things like this, you know, pride, not selfish pride, but pride towards things outside of ourselves, if that makes sense. Hopefully that makes sense. Sure. Well, one's spiritual, the other's material. If you're uh, proud of being um, allowed to be with the devotees or you're, you're proud of the way the devotees are so kind to other people and so forth, that's a spiritual sentiment. If I'm proud of my own abilities, I think, as Kunti says, there's ways in which I, I may think that I'm very beautiful or opulent or qualified in some way. I think entitlement is a good word. I mean, it describes a sense that um, is opposite to humility. Humility means that I'm dependent fully on Krishna and anything I do is actually his mercy whereas entitlement I think I deserve something and I deserve more respect and so forth and that sort of pride that's material it's mentioned by Krishna in the 16th chapter of the Gita anybody else? one, two It's important uh, because there's always mission drift in life. And people, well, let's just say, be, uh, let's talk about being in an organization. We'll talk about being in ISKCON. If you're enthusiastic and you're capable, or even if you can fog a mirror, then somebody's going to ask you to do some service. And generally, people don't ask that much about um, like how much service are you doing already? They'll just say like, can you do some? Can you do this or that? So you have to manage your own energy, and having a plan is very helpful. If you think about what kind of services you have now, you think about what your priorities are, what, what services that, that are you're most capable of and that you'd like to do and you put those at the top, then you can put a lot of emphasis on those and, and not get overburdened. I've seen a lot of times when new devotees come who are, have obvious capabilities, everybody goes after them. It's like, hey, join us. Uh, and they need some um, protection. So that's one aspect. The other aspect is that the mind is fickle and it can 
be easily dissuaded. I think I used the word uh, mission drift. In fact, I know he did. And there's a way that um, when you have a clear plan you can follow, then it tends to make you more peaceful and determined and you get more done. So let's just say if you have a plan for the day. When, if you write down your plan for the day and you know what the steps are going to be, then when you wake up in the morning, you're really energized. I mean, I know what my plan is when I wake up in the morning. So I have, a, I have things that I do first, second, third to make sure they're done because I vowed that I'm going to do them. So I make sure that I do them as early as possible so I don't end up, end up with loose ends at the end of the day. And another um, way to help on a daily basis according to one's plan is to take all the implements you're going to use the next day. Let's just say, let's make up a, a scenario. You're going to chant one chapter of Bhagavad Gita as part of your, your daily practice. What else do you want to put in? Japa. Japa. So you have your Japa bag. And okay, good Japa. That's a whole other story. So for your, for your chanting a chapter of Gita, you would put the, the book there or the chapter that you've already isolated or whatever thing you read it from. You put that, you put your bead bag in and it's going to be good Japa. You'd already have a plan where you're going to sit and what time you're going to start, things like that. What other things? Okay, reading Srimad Bhagavatam for one hour. Uh, you put your Bhagavatam there and it's helpful. Let's say if you're reading from a particular place, make sure it's marked so you don't have to look for it. This is kind of a plan. And so you have all these things and Prabhu was cooking for Krishna, so then take a spoon from the kitchen and put it in there. <laughs> this is practical. When you wake up in the morning, when you've thought about it ahead of time and you put everything out, then your mind immediately goes there. In fact, you know, have, you, have you ever had that feeling that you didn't want to wake up? Yes. Yes. Oh, only two or three people in here? Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, you easily overcome that when you do this method. You put everything out the night before because your mind wants some engagement and it's engaged in dreaming and then once you come a little to the surface and realize you have all these things waiting for you you immediately open and you go for them so this is a, what I mean by planning and then there's lots of ways that you can plan your life out too uh, and take good counsel and think about you know what are the best stages and take and, and have those lined up and if it doesn't go the way you thought then you just readjust. The main thing is to keep the transcendental vibration going and you can always adjust because things don't usually go the way you want. Yes? Just something about what you just said. What if it's enough... Can you use the mic? Otherwise you don't get full credit. Only eight sixteenths. Um, about what you just said, what if it's not the thing but like outside going somewhere? How can you... Just write it down. You know, keep a list. It's helpful in plans to work from a list so you know what you're going to do. So now, are you going to have somebody have their hand up? Okay, probably for the last one and then...
Okay, so it's related to um, the lecture in the morning from Bible Swami. Um, he mentioned, um, he spoke about knowledge, and I will read a lot of real knowledge that goes uh, simultaneously with developing humility as well. So, um, when we get in a state and think like, oh, okay, I know it all, you know, I read so much, then it's actually not the real knowledge hasn't really developed. So, um, when we theoretically understand this, um, but the thought still creeps in, then we think, oh, okay, I read it, I know it, right? so what, what, what can we do then? It's important to have association with those who have a taste because as Bhandaswami mentioned this morning, we get bhaktiya sanjataya bhaktiya. Bhakti comes from those who have bhakti. Bhavad vidha bhagavatas tirta puta swayam vivo tirta kurvanti tirtani swantak stenigadavrita. And that verse was spoken by Yudhishthira to Vidura saying that actually you have that in your heart, therefore you can give it to other people. In fact, he said, when you go to holy places, you make them clean, because everyone else goes there and leaves their sins. Now I'll go back home and feel better about myself. So when we can get us, we can be in association with those who are advanced, more advanced than ourselves, and we hear and chant, then we can develop that sense. David and the Pandit in Navadweep was a, a great scholar and he gave classes on the Bhagavatam regularly and many people would come because he had such scholarship and once uh, Srivast Thakur came and Srivast Thakur is a pure devotee so when he was hearing the Bhagavatam he started feeling emotional, emotional spiritual emotions and, and they began coming out uh, in his uh, body and the other people there, they were just dry philosophers. Although they were hearing Bhagavatam, they were not pure devotees. And neither was Devananda Pandit, although he was a scholar and although he was reading the Srimad Bhagavatam. So some of the students of Devananda Pandit escorted Srivas Pandit out in a rough manner because they thought, who is this person disturbing the class? And... Srivas Prabhu didn't even notice because he was in ecstasy, but Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, being omniscient, understood what had happened. And at another time, when he was walking by the place of Devananda Pandit, he became furious. And he said, this is a rascal. I'm going to punish him. And the, he, he verbally chastised Devananda Pandit, said that although you're reading Bhagavatam, you don't know the essence of it. And that is that love for God resides in the hearts of the devotees, and you offended Srivas. Even then, he wasn't Devananda, a, a devotee, although he took the, the chastisement well. Later on, he became associated with a pure devotee, Shiki Mahiti. And because of his association with Shiki Mahiti, says the Chaitanya Bhagavat, he also became a pure devotee. He was transformed and began to appreciate the, the Bhagavat for what it really was. Same with Sarvabhambhacharya, he was the greatest scholar in India, but he didn't know what the Bhagavatam was for. He was a Mayavadi until he met the devotees and Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and got their mercy. So, tapite deva padambhujadvaya prasada leshanu grihita evahi janati tattvam bhagavan mahim chanya eko pichurambhachimban. Brahma says in the 10th canto, 14th chapter, that 
you can uh, you can be a great scholar and you can study everything, but unless you ha get a, a little mercy, then you you won't be able to actually appreciate it or understand it in the right way. Therefore, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu says that one should hear the Bhagavatam in the association of like-minded devotees who are more advanced than oneself. So if you're the smartest one in the room or the most advanced, you're in the wrong room. Try to find advanced association of like-minded devotees and hear Bhagavatam because we get the, um, that sense of devotional service from the devotees. I remember when I first joined the, the temple soon after, Richie Corsa bestowed upon me the Back to Godhead magazine. And I really liked Bhagavad Gita, but I could not understand what all this Bhagavatam stuff was. Because I, I was more into um, you know, sort of a, a dry understanding of the philosophy. I mean, Bhagavad Gita is not dry, but I, you know, I, couldn't, I wasn't really aware of the personal conception of God at that point. Even when I came to the temple, the deities were there, and there were beautiful flowers, and I was more interested in looking at the flowers than at the deities. But I remember being, I can remember the moment it happened. We had this uh, beautiful temple room that used to be a, a funeral home. We converted it into a temple. I mean, it was really beautiful because they used to show the bodies there, and uh, they wanted to be nice. So <laughs> every morning we had Bhagavatam class, and the sun would be coming through the skylight, in the middle of the room, all the walls were white, and all the beautiful BBT art was there. It was, it was uh, stunning, stunningly beautiful. And um, still, hearing Bhagavatam, and I remember we were on the section of the Krishna going to Dwarka, and, the, and then uh, his queens in Dwarka. And there was a verse, and the temple president there, Bhutatma Prabhu, who's recently left, left the world, he was, he was giving a class and he was talking, he was reading the verse about how those, those queens, they were so attached to Krishna, they couldn't quit those lotus feet. <laughs> and something just about the whole environment, being with all the devotees and, and that surcharged environment and hearing the Bhagavatam and their association, I just felt something come over me and then everything changed and I, f I felt different. I started seeing the deities and feeling really ecstatic and the Bhagavatam started making sense to me. And so there's a, there's a way that we transform by this hearing in the association of devotees and that's the essence of our practice actually is to be in the association of devotees and, and hear 